Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we offer resources to equip you and stories to inspire you on your adoption journey. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it, and we're here for you. This week, we're bringing you a recording from a recent workshop that took place in the village. In case you haven't heard about it, The Village is our membership community where you can find support and training to meet your needs. For more information, head to theadoptionconnection.com slash village. We hope you enjoy the workshop. Hello, everybody. My name is Greg Ray, and I am honored to get to share these ideas about chores that have made a difference in my life with and and in my home with you all in case these things can just make your life a little bit better and and deepen connections with your kiddos. What if there could actually be joy in chores? And for some people, the reality is some people don't mind chores. Yeah, I'm not one of those. And some people like to do chores with other people and work together. I'm still not one of those. If I have a task to do, I'd rather do it by myself. And um, so this is this is going to be from some fun stuff. I have been an adoptive dad since 2008 and a bio dad since 1990. Um, my, cur- my two adopted children are now 17 and 19. My son is 17. My daughter is 19 and out of the home. It's exciting. I'm a trust-based relational intervention practitioner, TBRI practitioner, I have been doing post-adoption support since 2018 here in the state of Kansas and have simply expanded it to wherever everybody else is. In our dad group last night, we, we have a dad group twice, twice a month that's online, and we had a guy join us from Canada last night, which was pretty exciting. So our dad group's gone international now. I'm also an Enneagram coach. I am a type four, uh, social type four, and um, so I bring all of my type fourness to my parenting for good or ill, uh, and, and that's exciting. So chores, I want to go ahead and think about flipping the term chores. So if you want, feel free to unmute or to put in the chat, what does the word chores mean to you? Work. Tasks. Tasks. The uh, household run. Oh, that's that's lovely. Tasks that help. Yeah. Boring work. Woohoo. Yeah. Job that needs to be done to help the family. That's the stuff. So I'm curious, and there might be a wide range here. Uh, how do your children feel about chores? Mine hate them, basically. At least my son does. If doing it with me, she loves it most of the time. There it is. You understand like to avoid them as much as possible. Unnecessary to get to what they want to do. And unnecessary evil to get to? Is that what you said? To get to what they want to do. They know that if the chores are done, then they can do what they want to do. Yep. Okay. And <laughs> son hates the very word. Um, if they're outside, they like them. Inside, they hate them. Oh, interesting. Yeah, right? A year ago, when I was in coaching with Melissa, she asked me the question that I'm confident you all have heard. Let's redefine success here by things that we can control. So what if we broadened the goal of chores to include T 
teaching and relation building relationship as well as accomplishing this work whether the work is boring or whether the work actually helps the family what what if we broaden that goal and that chores could actually be teaching moments and relational moments i started down this path to discover this when i discovered an interview with Michaeline Duclef. She's an NPR science correspondent, but uh, she took time um, to do research and write a book called Hunt, Gather, Parent. And she went and she and her daughter, Rosie, went and lived in an ancient Mayan community in southern Mexico. They went north of the um, Arctic Circle and lived with an Inuit community. And then they went to Tanzania, one of the countries in Africa, and lived with the Hadza, uh, uh, one of the tribes of the Hadzabi. And she went to do the research and backed it up with all this psychological research and things that are available. And she produced that book, Hunt, Gather, Parent. And so because of her insight, um, I, I would like us to reframe chores as children offered relational experiences and reframing things is helpful. It helps me, helps me get through my day. If I look at certain things from a reframe from a different perspective. Um, so children offered relational experiencing. These are parenting tips from hunt gather parent, what ancient cultures can help us teach about the lost art of raising happy, healthy little humans. But why is it important to me? I came across this interview with NPR and it was it was in print. I didn't listen to it, but this is what caught me. Michaeline said in the interview, the ancient parents have a different perception of children and their behavior. It, so it's not so much that they're suppressing anger towards their children or suppressing frustration towards their children. It's that, that these parents look at their children in a way that allows them to actually have less or really no anger towards their children. She continues later. So for instance, we often think that children are pushing our buttons. They're manipulating us. Oh, if we get in, give in to that child crying, you know, they've learned that they can manipulate us and get us to do whatever they want us to do. But actually, Michaeline says, actually a lot of parents don't see children that way. In these three ancient communities, for example, the Mayans, the Inuit, and the Hadzabi, they see children as just really inept, illogical beings that, of course, are misbehaving because they haven't learned yet. And that went boom for me, because as a trust-based relational intervention practitioner, the for me, the foundational piece of TBRI is that we gain deep understanding of the motivation behind our children's behavior, which produces compassion for them. So for me, for my adopted kids, when I learned, when I realized that their challenging behaviors have an underlying, the underlying uh, issue behind my children's challenging behaviors or underneath them are because their brain brain, their tra uh, normal trajectory for brain development was disrupted. Their normal trajectory for attachment development was disrupted. They came into our home not trusting adults at all. And it all makes sense. So I carry that understanding and compassion into my parenting most of the time, not all of the time. And then I saw that that in these ancient communities, 
they already understand and see their children as just illogical and inept because they don't have social skills. They don't have the skills to do things. Of course, they're going to misbehave. So that captivated my attention. Of course, I bought the book. Um, so to uh, outline for the rest of this morning is that first, I'm, we're going to look at the framework. And that framework is going to be our job as parents is to help heal the effects of toxic stress. For me, that's my framework of what my goal with my babies is. My, although my six foot one baby is taller than me. So lay out the framework that our job is to help heal the effects of toxic stress. Then the foundational piece of chores as children offered relational experiences is intrinsic motivation. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Then I'm going to name some strategies for getting intrinsic motivation. Then I'm going to wrap it up with, with an acronym to help us remember in the moment what we're trying to do um, when we're offering children our relational experiences. And then I'll share some resources with you. And then we'll have some discussion and, and things. So framework, foundation, strategies, and then we'll remember and then the resources. So here's the foundational piece. If you take a look at these two, on, um, on the one side, on the, the left side, you see a, an MRI, a functional MRI of a, the brain of a healthy child, uh, not toddler, probably between three and, three and five, okay? And then on the other one, an MRI of a child who was neglected and had high adverse childhood experiences, you notice that the colors are different. So if I want to call your attention to the, to the back of the brain there where the amygdala is, and the amygdala sits on top of the brain stem, as a lot of you already know, and it's the heart of the limbic system, and it's, it's the watchdog telling whether or not we are safe. It's always scanning the environment, deciding, is this body, am I safe in this space? And uh, if you want to unmute or put it in the chat, but what do you notice about the two, about the size, the comparative size of the amygdala in the healthy child versus the amygdala in the ne neglected child? What do you see? And, oh, I should say that the red is more activity is going on in that. So the red is the highest level of activity. The yellow is medium level activity. The green is the lowest level activity. And then the black is the dark is there's no energy in the brain right there. Um, the amygdala is actually overdeveloped. Overdeveloped, right? It's almost like if we were going to, if you want to develop these muscles using, they've our babies have used their amygdala so much that it's gotten stronger and twice the size of the healthy child's amygdala overactive in stressed brain exactly that's what's going on so so when you're looking at that which of these children is going to have the stronger fear response in situations the healthy child or the neglected child the neglected yep it's going to be high on now let's look at the front of the brain at the top of the picture prefrontal cortex right? Kind of this walnut size or almond size part right, right here, right behind our eyebrows, front part in the neocortex of our brain. 
And what we see is, again, tons of energy and life going on in the prefrontal cortex of the healthy child versus the neglected child. And if the prefrontal cortex is responsible, one of its jobs, if it's responsible for calming fear, we literally can use our prefrontal cortex to calm the fear in, in our basement brain. So which child, healthy or neglected, which child is going to have better control over their fear and their fear response? The healthy for sure. Yep, the healthy for sure. Look at how strong that is, okay? So makes a huge difference. One third picture on that is the, the frontal lobes. And the frontal lobes is, is a communication pathway between the basement brain, the amygdala, and the prefrontal cortex. The temporal lobes or those frontal lobes, they also help the frontal lobe or the prefrontal cortex talk to the basement brain. That's the pathway by which the frontal, the prefrontal cortex uh, communicates and can actually calm down the, the amygdala. And what do you notice in the neglected child about the connections between the prefrontal cortex and the amygdala? Is that a strong or a weak connection? They look missing. Yeah, right? How do they even calm themselves at all? There it is. That's right. So that's why in, in trust-based relational intervention and, and um, interpersonal neurobiology with Dan Siegel and Robin Goebel and Tina Payne Bryson and, and all of these people and the TBRI stuff is that our children are neglected, harmed children with high ACE scores. They cannot calm their fear down. The only way they can do it is to have a calm or a regulated, they can't self-regulate. They need a regulated person to come alongside, connect. And it's the regulated person that can bring our children down. Our little ones can't calm themselves down any more than a one-month-old who's tired, hungry, or with colic can calm themselves down. External, external regulation just has to be done because they have no capability. So here's one more piece of information for our framework is that um, in the mindful brain, Dr. Dan Siegel from UCLA lists nine functions of the prefrontal cortex. So here's, I wanna just share with those, these with them is that body regulation, it's the brakes and the accelerator of the autonomic nervous system, heart rate, eye dilation, respiration rate, blood pressure, all controlled in the prefrontal cortex, whether it calm it down. And uh, my 17 year old son, he, he likes to play this drive, these driving games and real, um, they look like real streets with people and everything else. And I'm watching him and I'm just going, holy smokes. And I make a comment to him about his driving. He says, he says, because he's flying through intersection, dodging poles, dodging people, not always, dodging other cars and things like that. And I comment on that. And he says, yeah, I only go fast. I hate braking. Oh, <sighs> yes, I have let him drive my truck, but not without me in the vehicle yet. So body regulation takes place right here. 
response flexibility, actually the idea of choosing your response with Steve, you remember Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He talks about that pause button between stimulus and response, where we can actually have the power to choose our response rather than our children don't have that. Empathy, putting oneself in someone else's shoes, having compassion for somebody else, seeing somebody else's point of view, all happens right here. What does empathy look like in our children with uh, in our neglected and abused children, right? They don't have that capability. Fear modulation and fear extinction happens here, ability. Morality, the means, the ability to think of the larger social good or the family good and enact those behaviors even when alone. All of those things depend on a healthy prefrontal cortex. That's why I started this with our framework is our job as parents is to promote the healing of our baby's brains so that the amygdala can calm, get smaller, less influence, and to promote the stimulation and growth and use of the uh, prefrontal cortex. So that's our framework where we're starting from. So point two is um, children offered relational experiences actually can help heal the effects of toxic stress. The two primary things that as a, from a TBRI framework, uh, um, we are, TBRI is divided up into two, into three strategies. Um, one is emotional felt safety, that connection. So connections and emotional felt safety calms the amygdala, allows the prefrontal cortex to grow. Physical felt safety calms the amygdala, allows the prefrontal cortex to grow and get stronger and develop. And that physical felt safety is, I know that my body is safe in space. And one of those things is empowerment or giving them a voice because our little ones, when they had a need, they didn't, nobody came to it. So they didn't have a voice. Nobody listened to them. When they said stop, sometimes the abuse got worse. When they asked for bread, they got a serpent, right? Or a, or a scorpion instead. That's just what happened with our kids. They didn't get their needs met. So when they come into our home, our primary job is to provide emotional felt safety and physical felt safety for our little ones. Calm the basement brain develop the upstairs brain, upstairs brain. And I discovered that instinctively I was doing this years ago, didn't even know it. There was a time in my family where for at least a year, we did not have a dishwasher. And my wife did not said, no, we're not getting another dishwasher. It might leak and cause uh, flooding in the basement. Nope, we're not going to do it. And that's all well and good. The trouble is, is that my wife was cooking uh, healthy, organic, vegan meals from scratch. Do you know how many dishes it produced for a family of four to cook that way? And guess who had dish duty? That would be me. So it was not, it would take a minimum of 45 minutes to an hour and 15 minutes to do all of the dishes. I'm a guy who hates that stuff. So of course I went and got my Chromebook 
And I'm standing here at the sink and I put up here on my top of my refrigerator, my Chromebook, and I logged into Netflix and I'm watching Bones. <laughs> I love Bones. Right? And watching that issue. Well, it wasn't long before my daughter would come in and stop off. And, and my, at that time, she was about 13. So she would stand over here and watch the show with me. And she said, do you want help with the dishes? I said, yes. So, and I said, tell you what, let's go back to the very first episode. I was in season probably two by that time. And I went back to the first episode and my daughter and I, night after night, my 13-year-old and I, we did dishes. And she looked forward to doing dishes because we would watch the show. We would watch the episode. If we would often get the dishes done early and then we just lean back on the counter and watch the end of the show. Or if we'd started a second show, we'd finish the dishes and we'd go out to the TV in the living room and finish the show. Watching Bones together doing dishes developed an emotional connection with me and my daughter. So we would talk about it. We would have these experiences. It was amazing. Now, fast forward to uh, 2020, when that daughter, four years later, she has left the home. My controlling nature over and over and over again, a few times got out of control and I ruptured that relationship. So at age 17, I'm support, I'm sub, um, what, it, what do you call it? Anyway, I'm paying for part of an apartment for my 17 year old daughter to live in. Right now she, like a lot of our kids, she's got mental health issues. And twice this happened where she dropped off the face of the earth. She was not posting on social media, Facebook, not texting anybody. And so twice, and I went over to her apartment to find out what was going on. And that second time, it had been a number of hours since she had dropped off the face of the earth. So I went over to the apartment and I, I went and put my key in the lock of the door because I did not know what I was going to find. Okay. And I opened the door and there's no bad smells. I said, hey, H, you in here? No sound. I walked down, looked in the bathroom, looked in the bedroom, looked in the living room. And I walked in the kitchen and the dishwasher was running. I'm going, okay. <laughs> and then I realized she is safe. She is alive. And it turns out it was just that her phone had broken once again. She's, she's just harsh, harsh, harsh on phones. But then I noticed when I realized she was safe, I looked around the apartment. And her, her bedroom was trashed with her clothes and things like that. The bathroom wasn't bad. The living room was pretty well organized. And there was not, and the dishes were dishwashing, nothing piled up and things like that. She was now taking care of herself in a healthy way. She had the power to be on her own and care for her own apartment. That was very, very cool for her to be able to do that. Chores can be a connection with our kids and can, doing chores and learning how to do that can empower our children. And just to let you know that Music, dancing, laughter, watching bones on a computer make, can make tedious tasks much more enjoyable. So that's that, that 
framework that I wanted to put that in. So let's, so we're good. So now the foundation, the foundation of children offered relational experiences is to develop intrinsic motivation. Okay. Intrinsic belonging naturally. It's essential. Michaeline um, Duclef talks about being in the Mayan village in, in this one family's home where Maria, the mom is there. And Mike, Michaeline went in and was in the house. And probably it was on a Saturday morning and stuff like that. And it was quiet. Everybody was still asleep, which was highly unusual. And Maria said, oh, I let the girls sleep. They stayed up late watching a movie. And so I let them sleep in. And so they just talked quietly. And after a few moments, the 12-year-old daughter came in to the living room from the bedroom, went straight to the, the sink and started doing dishes groggily. But she walked out of her room and the first thing she did was start contributing to the family. That's intrinsic motivation, right? That's not extrinsic. So the intric intrinsic motivation has three ingredients, connection, autonomy, and competency. Connection. So in Maria and the Inuit, in the Mayan community, the Inuit community, they welcome children into the adult world to come and accomplish goals together, common goals together. They welcome them. They don't do what I did, right? When my, when my son was four and five was, you go play, I'll do this work. You go outside, you go to your bedroom. I'll set you up with logo, with Legos, right? That's what I did. I separated that sent my child away. Now I did welcome periodically my daughter at that time because she wasn't as destructive, right? <laughs> so she did kind of help and she participated more. We welcomed her more, but I sent my son away and guess what my 17 year old son, how he feels about chores, right? That's a thing. So connection, we welcome children into the adult world to come together to accomplish common goals versus sending them away. Autonomy. Maria and the other moms in these ancient communities didn't make the children con contribute and they didn't make them stay when they lost interest. So if Maria's making tortillas and a three-year-old comes in to make tortillas, makes one tortilla and gets bored and leaves, Maria lets it go. And we studies have shown, and I'll reference this later, is that two, three, three-year-old, four-year-old children have this innate uh, desire to join in with families and to do adult tasks. And so in all these ancient communities, they welcome them, but they don't make them stay. It's autonomy. They have the power to come and be welcome, and they have the power to leave. Then the third ingredient, in addition to connection and autonomy, is competency. The child needs a task that is challenging enough to make it interesting but easy enough that they feel competent doing it, right? So it's got to be challenging enough to make it interesting so it's not boring. So it looks like the adult is doing the very complicated, important task, and the child is just doing this busy work. Kids don't like to do busy work. Okay, most kids don't like to do busy work. But it needs to be easy enough that they feel confident, competent that they don't feel frustrated. Here's some strategies to build intrinsic motivation. And I've got three of them, two on this page and then one on the next page. Number one is nonverbal 
approval, a nod, a soft smile, eye contact with a smile, healthy touch. These are the things that promote intrinsic motivation. Um, Overpraise is not a good strategy. Overpraise, lavish, warmth praise doesn't build intrinsic motivation. Overpraise actually incites competition between children. Oh, look, little seven-year-old, you did a great job. Five-year-old, I can do it too, right? Competition, what's going on? Overpraise, unbridled praise is a Western parenting thing. These parents in the ancient communities and around the rest of the world, non-Western ideas, they don't overpraise their children. They don't lavish and just dump all this praise on their children. They use a nod, a smile, eye contact, a touch, much more intimate connections with their kids because that's what builds intrinsic motivation, more intimate contact, not all this verbal stuff that we in the West like to do. Um, Because the nonverbal approves or promotes connection because it is more of a one-on-one connection, right? It's private, intimate. Those connect that knowing look. Uh, hopefully, you understand what I'm talking about. So, nonverbal approval. A second strategy is to acknowledge the contribution, accept the child's tortilla. All right. So, uh, Michaeline tells the story of Maria making tortillas, and the three year old comes in to make a tortilla. Maria breaks off a piece of the dough and sets it on the counter next to her, and the three year old starts making tortillas. Maria's in her 30s. Her tortillas looked like they were made by machines, okay? Because she's been doing it since she was three. But the three-year-olds is this lumpy things with with legs and such like that. But um, the three-year-old is done. Okay, mommy, I'm done. And so Maria picks up the tortilla, presses with her finger just one little thicker lob, just pushes and puts it in the pan to start cooking the three-year-old's tortilla, all right? Because Maria doesn't rush the skill building. She trusts that the three-year-old is going to grow in skill and is going to get it right in the future. There's no hint of perfectionism or doing it right. Maria doesn't teach and say, okay, here's how you do it. You do this, and then you do this, and then you do this. No, Maria quietly lets the child make the tortilla and doesn't rush the skill building. We got years to do this and trust that they will learn, accept the child's tortilla. Then we, the third strategy is to limit common parental mistakes. Mistake one, sending them away while we work. Oh, it's just easier if I do it myself. Right, it'll take twice as long if if I let the four year old busy boy help. You know, the, we tell the littles go play, but the littles are wired for helping. By the way, and the bigs, I the last time I did this presentation here in Kansas, there was a foster mom who said, "Oh no, I've got my teenage girls, foster girls. They when they moved in, I told them." Um, they went to go do their laundry because I guess they've been doing laundry. I said, no, 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 don't do your laundry. I want to, I'll do your laundry for you. And she came back and pushed back against this. And she said, these girls have had such a hard life. I want to do something for them to make their lives 
easier. And I don't think that was a good strategy because actually what would do, what it would have been a better is let's do it together, right? And let's, to use those opportunities as a connection and empowering the girls. I suspect that this mom who is an Enneagram type two, who, uh, who just wants to do things for others so that she can get attention back. I don't know, but that's just the flavor I got. Paying or rewarding chores <clears throat> that does not build intrinsic motivation. Um, there's a, that study there that, sh- that did a study. The children who were paid or rewarded for doing chores in the future, the next time, only 53% of them helped out a second time, right? And even if they were paid, but 89% of the intrinsic motivation, 89% of those children came back and worked again without pay. Pain rewarding doesn't build intrinsic motivation. It actually lowers the chance of what's going, of, of, of it lowers the chance of this child actually participating and contributing. Um, save, um, Jesse, save that question for Q&A. Uh, we'll, maybe we'll go back to, to get that because I want to get out that. Um, remember, it's intrinsic motivation, connection, autonomy, and competency, not rewarding. And then perfectionism is the other thing where we shoot ourselves in the foot. Michaeline is now home from all of her travels and she's working on her book, right? And they're having a dinner party. And so she's making chicken kebabs, chicken. And she's got the onions, the green peppers, the, all of these things and chunks of chicken laid out to make chicken chabob, kebabs. She looks over and she sees that Rose, Rosie, um, probably four at this time, is watching TV in the other room. And she says with great enthusiasm, Rosie, do you want to help me make chicken kebabs? Yes. And she runs into the kitchen and starts cramming chicken after chicken after chicken on the kebab. And Michaeline goes, no, 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 no. Knocks it all off and says, here, you put a chicken and then you put an onion and then you put a green pepper and then you put and then you put chicken because we don't have enough. So here you do it exactly as mommy does it. I'm bored. Rosie goes back to watching TV. And Michaeline's going, ah, what did I do wrong? Then she starts working on this chapter in her book. And she's going, I know exactly what I did wrong. So she goes, she sets it up a a couple of weeks later. She buys all of the exact same ingredients, sets it all up. Rosie's watching TV. Rosie, do you want to help make chicken kebabs? No, thank you. She says without taking her eyes off the television. And then mom says, I'll let you make them however you want. Boom, pops up and runs in. And she did chicken, chicken, you know, and then some something else and chicken. They were still chicken heavy, but they just enjoyed making the kebabs together. And when they were served that night, so many people were praising the chicken kebabs that were so rich on chicken, right? Rosie's work made a difference at the dinner party that night. Perfectionism does not promote intrinsic motivation. So a few tips for contributing to the family. So if you can remember, we keep our children 
with us. We welcome the children, even if it's easier to do things ourselves, right? And we find a job for them to do. Now, I put independence, but it's autonomy. It's the ability to come and go because independence suggests that they're not connected, but with just didn't work as well as with. So, so the independence is actually autonomy. Let them come and go. Be glad and warm when you welcome them and love on them. Love you, sweetie, as they're going out the door to go do something else. So welcome the children. Independence, tiny tasks. For those of us who raised children not to help, that we taught them not to help, there are things that we can do. So I started experimenting with my son on what I call tiny tasks. So he comes into the kitchen while I'm fixing something and said, hey, dude, would you rinse this can out and, th- and recycle it? Yes, I will. Hey, would you put this back in the refrigerator? Only one or two tasks per, per cooking session, okay? And another time, I'm making him some uh, SpaghettiOs with little hot dogs cut in, a la Big Bang Sheldon, right? And so I'm cooking that. And hey, would you put this back in the refrigerator? Would you put the, throw this in the recycle? Yeah. And, and he comes over and he's watching me stir it with a, and he goes, well, how do you know when it's done? I said, well, there's a couple of ways. You can use the thermometer. I said, or you take a spoon and, and taste it. And he does that. And then he literally shoves me out of the way, rudely, grabs the pot and the pan and starts stirring. He says, you know, dad, I have to learn how to do this stuff on my own. I went, boom, (laughs) right? Because he was just hanging out in the kitchen talking, a couple of tasks, and all of a sudden he's invading my space. Those tiny tasks, they have to be somewhat significant, but it it goes back and helps trigger that natural innate desire to connect. So welcome the children, independence, tiny tasks, and then remember housework done incorrectly still blesses your family. That's from Fly Lady. We used to do Fly Lady a whole lot. You know, what did I teach my child, my children? Well, if you're going to vacuum, you've got to do it my way. I want you to go here and then you pull it back slightly and it's got to be because how do my kids do it? I taught them to not vacuum because I did not give them the autonomy or just accept their gift. My floor would have been some of the dust and dirt would have been picked up their way week after week rather than me having to do it my perfectionistic way. So welcome the children, independence, tiny tasks, and housework done incorrectly still blesses your family. Here's some of the resources. Hunt, Gather, Parent by Michaeline Ducleff. There's, if you, if it turns out that if you go onto YouTube and just put Michaeline Ducleff, uh, there are hour-long interviews of people talking with her. So you can learn her stories and hear some of the extra stories and the background stuff. So you can buy the book, you can watch the videos. She's probably on podcasts as well. If you do podcasts, it wasn't, I discovered last month cooking with Kibby. A Kibby is an adoptive and foster dad. And during the pandemic, guess what he did? He helped, he started cooking with his kids. He's a chef as well. 
So his website is helping foster and adoptive parents connect with their children through the shared act of cooking and eating together because life is better when we're cooking together. All right. And uh, I discovered him through a Robin Goble interview. Cooking is connecting with Chef Kibby. So you can find that. There's this article right here, Toddlers Want to Help. It's from Psychology Today. And it talks about the studies that show that toddlers want to contribute and help. They have this innate natural ability to, to, to contribute to the family and work alongside their parents. It's wired in their brains already. It was me who shut that down. And then, of course, flylady.net, you know, which is, have you been living in chaos? Fly Lady is here to help you get your home organized. Chaos is can't have anyone over syndrome. (laughs) So that's what chaos is. Oh, look. So Joey says, I found the clean mama system less confusing than Fly Lady. Same basics, but simplified. And I think easier for working parents. Look at that. New resource. Awesome. So moving in, I'm curious, are you, uh, would you be willing to put in the chat what your total score is? Um, So 10 is awesome. You're welcoming. Give your child autonomy. You're teaching. You're using nonverbal praise. You're accepting the contribution. One, you're sending them away. You've got to be in control. You're commanding. You're overpraising or no praising or perfectionism. So I want you to know that I used to be a 15 out of 50, right? I got it 30% of the time because I was sending kids away, control, commanding, overpraising, perfectionism, trying to pay them. And But now I am pleased to say that I have transitioned to a 35 out of 50. So I'm up to 70% now of of getting this better. So if you want, if you're bold and brave, what are you at? I've done so well and so poorly. (laughs) Oh, wow, a six, huh? Bless you. Number fluctuates. Yep. So four, five. Ah, okay. So let's go on. Well, just one other idea. Which of these are you all, what are your strengths, you know? And this is for you, you don't have to part, share this, but what are your strengths and where do you need, need growth? My weekends, I have more time, but weekdays, I don't feel like I have the energy to let them help me. Oh yeah, right? It does. It takes actual restructuring and resetting things up. It may take changing the menu. It may take um, letting go, intentionally letting go of, of, uh, of perfectionism. I know um, one of the things I would do when I was thinking about how would I go back and do the vacuuming differently now? And I decided that I would work with my son. You vacuum, I'll dust. And then three days later, I'll vacuum and you dust, right? And I'll get the spots that he missed. So we vacuum twice a week, but we're working at it together, letting go of some of that perfectionism. Or actually, maybe I would just trade off week. Yeah, who wants to vacuum anyway, right? So maybe I would just do it. He vacuums and I dust this week. I vacuum and he dusts the next week. But kind of trading those things off and being creative. 
letting go of our, our old framework and restructuring things to make it easier. And they want to help with the eggs, cutting and stuff, and you don't feel like they can do it safely. Yeah, Michaeline Ducleff and the moms in the ancient communities, they, they make sure that maybe if they're going to do any cutting, they cut soft stuff and it might be with a butter knife, right? And let them practice doing that. So some of the younger kids do all sorts of more dangerous things, but under the watchful eye of the parents. It really takes this, this mindset. So what, what is a way that a child can participate if they come in? And we have to be creative to each of those situations. We are so thankful for the amazing guests who share their wisdom and expertise in the village. Adoptive parenting gives us both the challenge and the opportunity to keep learning new tools and perspectives. Each workshop in the village is followed by a live Q&A with our guest. If you're not already a member of the village, we invite you to join us for regular gatherings and workshops where you will find the tools you need for exactly where you are. As a valued podcast listener, you'll get 50% off your first month. Just go to theadoptionconnection.com slash village and use the code podcast. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. Our new Instagram handle is at postadoptionresources. Or better yet, join our free Facebook community at theadoptionconnection.com slash Facebook. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. And remember, you're a good parent doing good work. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.